Hello? Hello? It's all around us. Everybody, what's up? This is a stuffed up and slightly tired row, fresh from his second bout with COVID. Yes, I got the Omicron from whatever the hell variant this is. Vaxxed up and boosted, so basically it was more or less kind of a heavy head cold for the most part. Nowhere near the battle that I had with the first round of COVID uh, back in, was it February? I think it was February. So uh, yeah, pretty much the stuffy nose, a uh, little bit of throat irritation, and some lung distress that I really don't even feel unless I really push myself. Then my lungs just kind of say, no, sit your ass down. But I'm pretty much almost over it now. I really wanted to have this show up before the holidays. But I just wasn't able to because, again, Christmas, family, and then COVID set in, and it was like, oh, man. So um, basically, over the quarantine holiday season, I finally forced my ass to sit down and, and get to editing on this thing and get it put together. There is another show that I have in the can I got to put together. It's a ramble cast that myself and Gary did just, just for shits and giggles. We sat down and read some stupid news articles, and I do mean stupid. Um, <laughs> that's coming as soon as I can get it together. Uh, editing... Um, Editing those ramble casts together is a much different experience because there's a lot more errors and, you know, yes, they are stupid. They're dumb, funny shows. You know, they are what they are, but I have to make them sound a little bit better than what they actually are. Anyways, this episode, Steph Quick and P.A. Strange join me. And in this show, we talk about um, silliness and just weirdness in the paranormal. I have a feeling that we're, well, we're going to try to go back and touch on this topic a little bit more. I didn't quite get everything that I wanted out of this show. I was looking for more examples of strangeness in the paranormal, but for whatever reason, it just didn't work out that way. So I, we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to sit down and try to do this again, and we're going to try to actually have more examples of weirdness in the paranormal. But it was fun just to sit down and, and talk with these guys and, you know, and just kick my feet up and just relax. Because every time Stephanie comes on, on the show it's like all right sweetie the microphone's yours where are we going you know and that's pretty much how it always works out so we pretty much just sit down and ramble on here about just you know strange incidences and and how comedy ties into the paranormal and weird things that have happened and things like that and uh that's pretty much it so i'm just going to jump into the episode and i will see you guys at the other side
this week we have Stephanie to quick returning, which at this point you're you're pretty much a co-host at this point. You've been on here so many times. And uh <laughs> we have AP Strange with us, and you guys both contacted me and said, Hey, we've got this nutty idea for an idea for humor in the paranormal. It is no secret that I um, do not shy away from humor in the paranormal. Most of my show is snarky, smartass, and laughs at a lot of this stuff anyways, much to the dismay of the people in the paranormal field. So I said, yeah, sure. What, uh, what are we going to talk about? Where are we going with this? So welcome back. Uh, AP, this is your first time here on Project Archivist. It's good to talk to you. I've been following you out in the periphery on other shows and things like that. So it's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem. Stephanie, where are we going? What are we doing? Where? What is this strange and wonderfully weird road that you're taking us on tonight? Well, um, first of all, it's so fun to have both of you guys together because you're both uh, a lot of fun and you don't take things too seriously, which is good for this topic. Um, so I don't know why AP and I decided to uh, do a show on humor because that's an interest of both of ours and paranormal and um, we just have been obsessing about it for over a month. We've had uh, we had a uh, online meeting with uh, very generously Professor Paranormal himself, Lloyd Auerbach, who's an actual parapsychologist as well as a performer. That was uh, delightful. Uh, we've had a lot of weird synchronicities about uh, very off-color topics. No, <laughs> not you. <laughs> That is your thing. Some people see UFOs. Some people see Bigfoot. Some people see ghosts. You have synchronicities about Bigfoot's penis or just or, the yeah, weird or shit. underwear. Yes, yeah. underwear. Yeah, that's another reoccurring theme that happens on this show is Stephanie Quick's paranormal underwear. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, religions have been built off of paranormal underwear. So Some of them may be in Utah. <laughs> yes. I'm going to get so much hate now. The magic powers of paranormal underwear and sigil magic. Anyway, uh, so we were just kind of like all way in the weeds and just going crazy with everything. And luckily, um, and the problem was that I like to have kind of an outline or a jumping off point or something. So I feel like my thoughts are somewhat organized before we jump in. And I was feeling like it wasn't happening. But then last night, AP was talking with fellow Detroit person, John L. Tenney, a little bit about the whole topic. And I thought that what uh, Tenney had to say about it would be a good uh, jumping off point. So Yeah, I mean, um, so I had, I had retweeted one of my old tweets more for my own point of reference and he had jumped on to comment about it so i figured uh it was a good opportunity just to hit him up and have a quick chat to see if he had any further comments on it um the one i actually shared was a quote from groucho marx which is uh humor is logic gone mad i've never been able to find the actual uh, attribution there it's attributed to him but i don't know when he said that but um that was kind of my jumping off point for this uh, back in March, Stephanie and I were preparing a different show, and uh, I had made a joke, a joking prediction that actually came to pass, and it kind of occurred to me, like, sometimes the process of joking itself is is <laughs> precipitates this kind of weird, uh, these weird side effects, you know, like uh, an actual prediction comes to pass because you made a joke about it, you know. Um, yeah, and the way John put it when I talked to him uh, is – that between the setup of a joke and the punchline, there's this liminal space 
that uh, where anything can happen and anything can come next. So that's the essence of humor is is that uh, suspenseful moment in between where uh, where you know reality is is temporarily suspended and you, you know you're being set up with something but you don't know what the punchline is going to be, you know. So he had um, and he does he covers this kind of stuff in 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 his uh, in his lectures. And it was really kind of cool the way he put it together. It's a uh, non-physical place with a door behind which stands infinite possibilities. So um, I don't know, Steph, you wanted to comment further on that. No, but. I just love uh, the way that he put that because um, another uh, comment that we had uh, been discussing was uh, Greg Bishop likes to say that um, if you have to explain a joke, it's like a, or explain a paranormal experience, it's the same thing where it's like once you explain it, it kind of kills it or flattens it or you don't get it. Which is true in one sense, but then I was thinking, well, what about like Norm MacDonald, right? I mean, his whole shtick is like explaining the joke, but he does it hilariously. And I think it goes to the, just constantly being in this um, liminal space, this place where it's all possibilities, and you're constantly pulling the rug out of whatever the structure is that's been set up, you know? Um, you're never nailing things down to kind of like one meaning. I mean, puns are the lowest form of humor, but the highest form is wit, as they like to say, but they're, you know, they show up a lot in dreams, in uh, paranormal situations. But the whole idea of a pun is that, you know, one symbol, one word can have multiple meanings, right? Yeah. So right there, that's, that's opening you up. It's all about possibility. Um, you know, you can even kind of come up with like a, a new, you know, nudge things in the direction of like a new meaning to further the pun, that type of thing. But um, I like it is that liminal space where it things aren't so structured. You're not really in one, you know, reality or the next. You're kind of floating on the edge constantly. And, um, you know, uh, John was also saying that this is very related to, you know, Hermes, Coyote, Loki, all those trickster entities. And um, George P. Hansen and Trickster and the Paranormal, I had an interesting conversation with him because um, actually when we were preparing for that show, uh, APNI, it was uh, about people that instead of just waiting for the paranormal to happen, they provoke it somehow. And one of the people that we talked about was Jeff Ritzman. And Jeff Ritzman talked a lot about Hansen's ideas and the whole idea of structure and anti-structure. Um, so structure is any type of recurring form in time or space or groups of people, right? So if you're going uh, to your job from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, every week, that's a structure. You know, if you have a house that's stable uh, in one location for a number of years you're living there, that's structure, right? As opposed to uh, living in a van and, and driving around a lot of places. That's anti-structure. Down by so, the river, Jeff, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Jeff Rispin would talk a lot about trying to provoke paranormal events by um, building in anti-structure into one's routine into one's life and he was an artist and, and worked uh, I think as a um, freelance a lot and stuff so he had a very anti-structure uh, type of lifestyle. I always appreciated him because um, I believe he really approached everything in good faith um, and really tried to do you know do his best. I mean I think some people are, are a little more flip about it or they're you know, like can be like a little bit of an ego trip but I really felt like he was very sincere. I used to give him a lot of grief because like in some of our conversations and stuff, he'd always talk about how 
he'd be doing stuff and then he'd see like this ball of light or these things would happen to him and he mm-hmm. you know he used to drive him nuts sometimes and I'd be like dumbass you're provoking the stuff you know I mean I mean this it's like it's it's not it's not that bad but it's like the show on, on Ghost Hunters where they go is there something in the room could you please let us know you're here and then something goes flying across the room or, and they go running down the hall and I used to give them crap but I'd be like well yeah you're you're you've invited this stuff to happen to you and then when it does you kind of sit there and scratch your head you know and then in the same sentence we would go on and talk about him building a guitar for little John <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah but but the conversation that I have with, with George Hansen, I said, you know, if you um, have a person with a lot of anti-structure that invites the paranormal, it invites the trickster. But I'm like, because I've been interested in myth and anthropology and stuff, I'm like, isn't the big characteristic about the trickster is that, boom, they can just, for no reason, just because you're you, <laughs> you can have the most structured life, suddenly, whammo, everything goes crazy because you were touched by the trickster. And there's a, um, and he said, yes, of course. And that's what makes it difficult to talk about, especially humor in the prayer work, because humor is so associated with those trickster entities, um, which is that it goes both ways. You can't really kind of nail things down to be a certain rule because the opposite's true, too. Yeah. <laughs> most of the time. So it's slippery. I get this image in my head of people using a Ouija board and getting dad jokes from their Ouija board. So I don't know why my brain's going there, but that's what, that's what's popping in my head. <laughs> like funny dad humor jokes. Um, there was this thing I've talked about it many times. Um, long story short, me and a buddy of mine were at a graveyard when in my early teens and I was using a small tape recorder and we were just there running a tape recorder, walking around looking at gravestones and stuff. We put the tape recorder on there, went back and listened to it. And we actually had something. And there's a point in there where I asked my buddy, hey, what time is it? And he tells me the time or what have you. But before I ask the question, what time is it? There's a voice that comes through very distinctly and clearly and says, time for you to get a watch. And then you hear me say, hey, what time is it? We got to get going here pretty soon. And... <laughs> My buddy was all, he's like, oh my God, we actually got something. And it was a brand new tape. I would only record on one side. It was all those little micro cassette recorders. No, I don't still have it anymore. But my buddy was flipping. He's like, oh my God, we actually got something. We got something. And it wasn't so much that I wasn't so much freaking out that we got something. What really freaked my brain out was how did it know the answer to the question before I asked it? Or does time work differently wherever that came from? And it just, it affected things here differently. And the other thing was, is I'm like, I got a smart ass response. It wasn't like leave or your, you know, your souls are going to burn in hell or, or any of those kind of things. It was this smart ass reply of time for you to get a watch. So those are the two things that to this day still gravitate in my brain. I'm like, okay, most people don't have a paranormal experience with a ghost or something. It's something really freaky. Me, I had a smart ass. So, <laughs> and it's such an oddball story. When I tell it, people just look at me like, yeah, you know, now it's not as bad. But back in the day, you know, I didn't tell the story very often because I didn't want to get looked at weird. And plus, it wasn't the spooky, you know, blood draining from the walls or anything like that. It was just somebody saying something quirky and stupid out of nowhere. So... That's my paranormal humorous experience. <laughs> that's that's fantastic, and I think it gets to the heart of what we're talking about a lot with within the para weird is that people don't uh, b- people feel as though they're not going to be taken seriously unless they take the subject very seriously. Mm-hmm. And when you have those oddball moments, it's almost uh, risky to include it in your reporting of the event because now people are going to think you're putting one over on them. You know, yeah. <laughs> people, 
Um, and I think it needs to be normalized. We need to normalize the silliness and the weird. Uh, and a lot of people do do that. You know, a lot of people are, are very good about that. And um, obviously, John indicated that's part of his lectures anyway. He always talks about it. Lloyd Auerbach is always talking about a uh, humorous approach. But um, there really does need to be a little bit more silliness. And uh, I, for one, take my silliness very seriously when I approach these <laughs> weird subjects. I like that quote. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is getting back what you put into it. And um, I think if you go into a haunted house expecting a horror movie, what you're going to get is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you approach ghosts with knock-knock jokes – as as John used as an example, John Tenney used as an example, knock-knock jokes. Knocks are something that ghosts do anyway, yeah. and Bigfoot, for that matter, and knocking. I mean, mm-hmm. I actually asked him at one point, do you ever do, like, a shave and a haircut knock? And he's like, yeah, of course, it's a classic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I am, but, like, the worst person to take on ghost hunting events because I'll walk in there humorously, and people get really pissed off at me because they think I'm not being serious. And yeah. my point is, it's like, listen, if we're talking to ghosts, ghosts are dead people for all intents and purposes. So they're still a person. They're not, you know, that, that just because you die doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't alter. You don't, you don't turn into something different. You're still the person or whatever. So I think you're going to get more with sugar than you're going to get with vinegar. So, I mean, I take what I'm doing seriously, but I'm also known to crack jokes and do things like that. And it pisses a lot of people off because everybody goes into these things wanting to be like they're on Ghost Hunters and they're all serious and stuff, which I am too. But at the same time, I want to have fun with it. And if something fun comes back, all the better, you know? Um, Absolutely. We had a guy on the show once that was on here and he we had people call in and I said, hey, I'm interested in doing a show where people can call in and just tell us their exper- paranormal experiences. Quite a few of them were funny, but we did have one gentleman who called in and he was talking about as he was driving into town, him and his buddy looked up and they saw an unidentified flying object over their town. And it, and I had to give him on the show specifically because he said what it was is it looked like a giant floating baked potato flying over the town. Just like hovering there. And I'm like, you mean it looked, he goes, no, it looked like a potato. It looked, I'm like, so you're saying you saw a space potato? He goes, yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but you know, he goes, and I, I don't know if he tells the story or not, because we weren't high. We were just driving. We both looked up and we saw it. Then we looked again and then we, you know, we kept staring. And then eventually it was just gone. We just blinked back then. It was just, it was just wasn't there anymore. But he goes, yeah, it looked like a giant Idaho spud potato just floating over the town, you know, and then, then it was just gone. But, you're not going to hear people tell those kind of stories about their UFO cases or things like that because who it's bad if people are going to believe that you saw a UFO, but if you tell them, yeah, I saw a giant floating space potato, then everything goes out the window at that point. So, you know, and more to the points, an organization like MUFON probably wouldn't file that or they wouldn't put it front and center, you know? (laughs) Yes. And, uh, I think Greg Bishop was telling a story once that he had talked to somebody. I believe it was Greg. I could be wrong. Greg, if you hear this, I apologize, but, about how somebody was watching TV and an alien just walked through their living room, went up to the refrigerator and grabbed out like a Dr. Pepper and just walked out the door. And the person was just in shock of like what the hell was going on. You know, so it's not that you had a cryptid encounter. It's that a cryptid came in and stole one of your one of your sodas and walked out the door. (laughs) So, you know, where do you draw the line? Because at a certain point, you you know, it's like, is is this person legitimately nuts or or is this the phenomena poking back saying, okay, here, as Jeff used to tell me, here, here's this. Have fun with this. Have people telling that. Let's see what they say to you now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, as, as Valet said, it was um, a lot of these encounters are absurd, like with euphonauts and stuff like that. There, there's this level of absurdity to it that um, seems like it's by design, you know. Yeah. It, 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 it was designed to be absurd, so maybe you sound silly telling the story. Or who knows what the motivation is, but it seems like um, it was supposed to be ridiculous. You know? Yeah, it's geared to be that way. It's the Harlequin. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like well, it's interesting too what you said about um because what I took away from our conversation with Lloyd Auerbach was was like the human element because he was talking the same way about ghosts because he it goes with uh, to a lot of uh, hauntings and stuff like in the East Bay actually the the Greater Bay Area California where I, I grew up and um I don't know if it's really uh, absurd or whatever but. When you're talking about, uh, you know, what you're bringing to like a ghost investigation, he was talking about one instance where this guy was apparently hanging around this house and he went in and he was just talking about the creative element. And so he said, let's ask this guy what he wanted to do when he was alive that he never got to do. And so the psychic's like, OK, so they asked him and he's like, oh, I wanted to go on safari in Africa. And he said, you can do that now. You don't have to buy a ticket. You don't have to have a passport. And it cleared the haunting. Mm -hmm. So I think part of that is that um, creativity, that looseness, being open for anything. Because, I mean, that sounds absurd, right, in and of itself. It's like, oh, I got this uh, guy and told him, well, now you can go on a safari in Africa. This sounds ridiculous, too. And yet it worked. So Yeah, and what's great about that is a lot of people – are dismissive of the idea of a haunting because they think, well, when I die, I'm not going to just want to hang around my house for eternity, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then he realized with that specific example, maybe it just never occurs to a ghost that they can go someplace. Yeah, really. Get off your ass. Get out of here. Go see the world. (laughs) Yeah. And being, you know, just dying can be shocking or stressful. You know, if you have long illness or something, you may, you know, take a while to heal from that. But yeah, I thought, yeah, can you imagine? That would feel so uh, embarrassed. <laughs> like you're just hanging around like, oh, okay. Well, why didn't I think of that 100 years ago? <laughs> really? But he also told us a great story. Um, speaking of dad jokes, Ro, is that he uh, – <laughs> there was a peeping Tom ghost, I guess, and oh, they so noticed awesome. that the activity would kick up when they would read from a book of, like, children's jokes. So just like the corniest possible jokes. Yeah. So they just sat there reading joke after joke from this book until the ghost got annoyed enough to leave and they cleared the house. Wow. (laughs) Cleared the house with bad jokes. Oh my God. I know. I could have believed that. I guess he said, you know, there was a women and when they were be like in their bedroom undressing or in the shower, they would feel, I I think that he would goose some of them and like, they'd feel like, which is just like super creepy, but yeah, that's how he cleared it. And I think there was a a little kid in the house too. And so the kid was just happy to read all these stupid jokes out of his favorite book for hours. And yeah, that's how they, that's how they, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you've seen the exorcist. This is like the exorcist dad for <laughs> that would suck, though. I mean, you're dead. You're stuck in this house. You know, you can't move on. You're stuck in purgatory. And then you've got a little kid just constantly running around telling dad jokes and shit. <laughs> or bad, bad puns. <laughs> uh, 
Well, he was a really, he was a really pervy ghost, I guess. I mean, third. <laughs> so that's probably not his speed. We had that thing on the show before where uh, we were talking about pervy ghosts. I believe it was when you and Shelly and uh, I can't remember if that was yeah. the episode with Tui on it or not. And we were talking about yeah. how like going into the bathroom, like things would happen in the bathroom while you're while you're taking a crap or taking a shower or yeah, just Shelley really. Yeah, Shelly was house sitting at that place, and that it's like someone was trying to come in when she would be in the bathtub. Yeah, the yeah. Door would open. I mean, I can't say that I wouldn't be a pervy ghost, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I guess I'll deal with that when I, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone would hope not, but you know, there's, there's a, uh, oh, I forget there's a, a cult bookstore. I don't know if it's still around or not, but it was very uh, uh, prominent in like Manhattan um, in the kind of a pagan revival, like the 60s or 50s. And the guy who owned it was gay. And after he died, uh, like good-looking young men who came into the shop would get like goosed or felt up from this ghost. So they figured it was this guy. There are worse ways to spend an evening, I guess. <laughs> I guess but it's still, you know, it's, I mean, it's not very, you know, I mean, people might want to have their own private uh, personal space to themselves. Who was it? Kesha? I think it was Kesha that said she had sex with a ghost, I believe. There's been a couple since then, actually. I yeah, think. she wrote a song about it. Yeah. And then, uh, really? I don't think I've looked into that. Yeah, Kesha, I Kesha said she had sex with a ghost. And then there was a, the other one. Um, what the heck was her name? Um, she was one of the Disney uh, singing chicks, like Miley Cyrus and stuff. I can't remember what the hell. Uh, uh, Demi Lovato. That's what it was. I think Demi oh, Lovato. That's right, yeah. She yeah. had some kind of a, a sexual experience with aliens or something like that. Or so she she has her own TV show with aliens now. <laughs> That's okay. It was probably viral marketing then. <laughs> Even still, you know, it's not uncommon for people to report that, but I don't know if we really want to go there. Oh, except for Lloyd Auerbach was telling us about a sexy haunting. <laughs> if you want right. to hear it, sure. The sexorcist. The sexorcist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen that porn, but go ahead. <laughs> so, Amy, you want to tell her? Do you want me to? I was really distracted when when the professor was telling that story because because of the synchronicity that came up, where he said it was printed in Playgirl magazine. But okay, <laughs> okay. oh yes, well, okay. So here's the sexist story as it appeared in Playgirl magazine um, many moons ago. So. I guess uh, Professor Paranormal and his team of Ghostbusters had heard from these people, and it was like a newer house. They weren't the first owners, but they had been living in there, and there were a couple. And there was it feels like there was like a uh, like a couple of master suites or like a master suite and, and a bedroom, and you know, kind of a lot of rooms upstairs in a hallway. And the problem was that. Uh, like about 2.30 or 3 a.m. every morning, they would uh, be awoken by the sound of loud sex. Okay. Which was, they were not having, <laughs> I mean, they, I don't I don't think they were unhappy or anything, but it, it just wasn't them at that point. And um, it got to the point where they contacted these people to try and get it done or get it cleared um, because it, it would, the sound would wake them up. The weird thing about it was that it was like very, precise it was just in this one room it was just at this one time you would like go into the hall and, and you wouldn't hear it 
So they ended up clearing it by moving into uh, the other bedroom and changing the position of their bed, and then it wasn't there. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, uh, Wait was a saying minute. That he yeah. So they, they, they only – no, this is curious though because they said they only heard these sex noises while the bed was in that position in that particular part of the room. Am I understanding you right? Yes, in the in the room and with their bed in that particular position as I understand it. It's like if you left the room and went out into the hall, you wouldn't hear it. So it's like really um, precisely like imprinted because the interesting thing was um, uh, Lloyd was able to talk to the previous owners and confirm with them – that they had been uh, very happily married and they would express this joy at that particular time and in that particular spot. So it was like a residual haunting, like the kind of like the stone tape theory, except for it wasn't stone. Yeah. So he thinks that it probably was some type of a geomagnetic, maybe type of situation where it just really captured this emotion and this um, sound. That makes a lot but of they're sense. They're still to me. alive. Yeah, yeah, they're still alive. Yeah. So it's like a haunting. Of people who are still that it was an energy capture, more or less. It's an energy capture. Yes. We're on that point because that's what yeah. they say a lot of. That's what they say a lot of hauntings and stuff. Sometimes are it's not necessarily a ghost. It's just an uh, an energy or an imprint that just keeps repeating and stuff. But yeah. I mean, that's that's really strange. And I'll, I mean, okay, besides the creepy part of it, yes, it's sex. They were having it there, and you can only you know that's that's what happened. But the fact that it had to be in that particular spot, right where that is, for that to for like. Just to be mm-hmm. in that particular area to be able to hear it, but if you move away and you go to a different spot or something like that, you can't hear it. That's kind of weird. Like, I mean, there's so many places my brain goes. Can we get the original couple back into that room so they can hear themselves having sex? What would happen? <laughs> I mean, I mean, not to be. I know that sounds kinky and weird, but I mean, since they created the residual energy, would they be able to pick it it's back like up a if they were? Yeah, oh, yeah. That that would be something I would want to experiment with and be like, okay, well, I don't know what the hell this is. It's weird. It's kind of creepy, and but how do we recreate this? And if we do recreate it, because the people are still alive, which is also strange because they're not dead. So yeah. there's like my brain's exploding with different fireworks of questions of weirdness right now. But to take yeah. it a step further, we talk about heightened emotions of which, you know, that scenario definitely is. But we also talked about fear. So why wouldn't hilarity operate the same way? Exactly. Why, why wouldn't laughter operate the same way? You know. Yeah. So, so that's where humor comes in, and it plays uh, plays a good role. Uh, and approaching or investigating these things, you kind of have to have a sense of humor going into it. Right? Exactly. So. Yeah. Like how how intensive sex were they having to be able to do something like that? Because I want to have that kind of sex in my life. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I loop it back around. Bunch of humor. amateurs yes. over here. <laughs> 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 anyway, so speaking of the whole uh, humor angle, now, as Lloyd's telling us this uh, story, which is kind of wild, and it's a little bit of a synchronicity because, of course, ghost sex is one of my interests, um, and he just brought it up, and then he says, oh, and it was actually written up in Playgirl as a case as the exorcist, so, he's a, so he said, oh, so I guess it turns out I've been in Playgirl. So I had been... Um, uh, talking to AP and someone else earlier about um, another person that we lost, Skylar uh, Alphagren, who was the uh, gonzo journalist, uh, paranormal uh, woman. She died way too young uh, in this last year. Um, she had been joking 
off and on about um, doing a project, doing that like a women of the paranormal calendar, kind of like racy thing. And she'd tag a bunch of people, including somehow me, and say, well, wouldn't this be a fun project? But she never got around to it. So I thought it would be fun. But then I was like, hey, how come we don't do like a men of the paranormal calendar? You know, kind of like turn it on its head, kind of, you know, get the kind of like, oh, uh, what was I thinking? The Gorilla Girls do art project like this and, and happenings where they're kind of pointing out some of the, uh, the sexism and stuff by kind of like turning things on their head. And I thought, oh, you could kind of do that, kind of have like, you know, thirst trap pictures of people because some things may have ended up in my DMs recently. Um, like thirst trap pictures. What? Of like paranormal dudes. <laughs> and then write it up kind of like, a, like you would for like a Playmate of the Month or like, oh, her hobbies and here's her exercise routine, you know, that kind of send up thing. Only people that would like it want to participate. You know, it's just kind of like a lighthearted gotcha. thing. Gotcha. If you're looking yeah. for fat man thirst traps, you might want to look me up. But go ahead. <laughs> well, see, here's the thing is, like, I got the sense Stephanie is very embarrassed by, you know, trying to bring up this idea to people. So <laughs> she's talking to me about it. And I'm like, I mean, it could work. I don't, I'm not going to approach people and ask about it. But, <laughs> but as soon as... As soon as Lloyd said that he had been in in Playgirl, I'm like, well, th- that's that's one hell of a sink right there. There's your end right there. <laughs> it was terrible because you know AP started just like busting up and really snickering, and Lloyd's kind of like, what's going on? But to make it worse, like the day after I sent this to AP, <laughs> he sent me a thing because um, John Tenney had been talking with his friend Jessica Napic, I think is how you say it. they do that podcast together. What's up, weirdo? Mm-hmm. And she'd yep. been. Uh, She'd been, uh, I don't know, posting something. She's like, oh, it's your turn. He's like, okay, thirst trap incoming. And then he posted this picture of, like, his naked legs. <laughs> so he's like, oh, John Tenney's picking up your gauntlet. You know, it's funny you say that because a couple of days ago you'd post a picture of you. You're in the somewhere and you're in front of a picture and you took a picture of yourself or a dress on and there was just, like, a little bit of your leg showing. Okay. And I was going to post something like, oh, look at she's doing thirst traps now. But I didn't post it. Someone else mentioned that, but you know, my mom was the first one who saw it. She's like, some of your thighs showing. (laughs) I also had like spinach in my teeth, but luckily no one noticed that. I'm like, look who's doing Amish porn now. (laughs) (laughs) My new OnlyFans. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Hot, sexy, fully clothed paranormalists are interested in you. Click here. In your area, want to talk to you. <laughs> it, might, it might really attract some uh, interest from ghosts from, like, the uh, Puritan era and stuff, you know? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, you do hear about brothels and stuff being haunted all the time. You know, that's that's a very common, for lack of a better word, I'm going to use the word trope. That's a big trope in the paranormal ghost hunting community is, is brothels always being haunted in one way or another. You know, people hear the moans and things like that in those because of the energy imprint that's left behind. But that is also, I don't know, it's, it just kind of like seems like when when these shows talk about stuff like that, it always felt like it was just kind of a reach, just, you know, hey, here's something saucy to get somebody in to watch this show, A Haunted Brothel, because immediately your brain goes to sex. So which, mm-hmm. it's a brothel, so of course it would. But um, Well, back in the day, though, that was one of the only places stand-up comedians could get gigs was mm-hmm. entertaining between, between um, performers at you know, there's a long yeah. history of comedy and burlesque and and different forms of of uh, 
striptease and stuff being mixed together. Uh, I was going to say the comedy store in L.A. is supposed to be very, very haunted. Yeah, I was going to bring that I up. I was going to ask that, yeah. No, I was going to say, I was wondering about that, because the other thing with brothels is that um, you have all this sex. You have a lot of people that are, you know, getting drunk. Uh, AP, like you say, you have the entertainment. Uh, what was it? Uh, Scott Joplin, uh, you know, the great uh, composer and pianist, would, you know, would play in a brothel. Um, yeah, a lot of the people that, <laughs> that, you know, were there, you know, weren't necessarily very happy either about being there. And you'd have, you know, fights and stuff like in the Wild West. We have a couple of old Wild West uh, kind of brothel remnants around here. So I think it was a, a, a big stew of heightened emotions. So That stuff leaves an imprint. And that's they say that 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 this pure emotion or whatever can that can leave an imprint into the fabric fabric fabric, the fabric of reality, um, which apparently just is a repeating thing or something along those lines. So that's why I'm like you're talking about this couple that having sex in this bed and you can only hear it when you're in a certain spot in the bedroom in that one particular spot. Like if I were something that caused that, I'd, I, I there would be so many like how how did I do that? I'm a little embarrassed because now the people that live there get to hear me having sex. You know, it's 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 strange on so many unexpected levels. You know, so yeah. you know how do you how, how do you address that with your former tenants? By the way, thanks for leaving the residual audio stain here or whatever. You know, um, audio stain. This could be a money maker. We could rent the room out, you know. <laughs> it's like I wonder the if they got their website. security deposit back. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Some stains just don't wash off. Wow. <laughs> that was not the direction I wanted to go with. <laughs> Maybe we should move on to a new topic. <laughs> well, um, you know, when, when you talk about – this, how could you apply this, right? Like in in the occult sense, we talk about this too, where there's, um, you know, there is there's obviously sex magic, but what if you could employ this kind of hilarity and joking around to the occult and actually precipitate, um, you know, magical workings through comedy, you know? And one, one could argue it's been done. <laughs> so, by who? Um, I, I've done it. I mean, I used the example earlier. I was reading a book, the book by Ted Owens about contacting space people, which has a lot to do with predicting weather events. Yeah. And somebody had asked me what, what the space people were telling me. Now, I was maybe five pages into the book, so I hadn't learned how to contact space people yet. But um, my my immediate response was, since the guy was messaging me from Texas, watch out for a severe weather event coming from the north of you within the next 10 to 14 days. And I was clearly just joking around, but exactly 14 days later, Texas got buried under snow and it affected their power grid. And it was like the worst winter weather they've had since the 1970s. Nice one, AP. So Thanks. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not saying I caused it to happen, but I'm mm -hmm. saying I, I, I predicted it, but just because I was trying to joke around with the guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, getting yeah. in that kind of free form kind of uh liminal space, you know, I th I think it probably allowed you to kind of uh I don't want to say uh, zero in on it or kind of catch the wave or whatever was coming. So, yeah. That's my that's my theory. Well, but, and uh, then um another example we brought up was our our mutual friend SJ. Um hmm. and they have a podcast called Two Witches. 
And one of the running themes on there is the magical job cat. So (laughs) you want to hear about magical job cat? Yeah, sure. I listen to their show too. On occasion. I like what they do. Yeah. Oh, sweet. So yeah, you're already familiar. Um, but, uh, good people. the, The concept behind job cat is SJ's sister's cat is always yelling. It's this cat that just walks around meowing all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, at one point, the, there was a running joke between SJ and um, their sister that the whatever whatever job cat was up to was its job now. You know, it would be hang out on the dryer, so they'd say, "Oh, job cat got a job doing laundry," or it would be hang out in the sink, and they're like, "Oh, job cat got a job doing dishes," mm-hmm. and um, it became memeified in the sense that, you know, they made a meme out of, uh, out of this cat. And, um, you could ask, you, you, you could ask job cat to hire you. So you could say, hire me job cat. And then that would activate another meme called the quadruple screen job cats. <laughs> so it's just the cat four times uh, and, uh, with its mouth wide open. <laughs> and anytime SJ does this, they write, um, you have activated the quadruple screaming job cats. Your wish will soon be granted. Now they've had success with this. I'd say maybe like 80% of the time somebody says, hire me job cat and gets that meme thrown at them. They uh, do end up actually getting a job offer or, or at least put in the right direction towards getting employment, (laughs) which, you know, this is all very hilarious. And SJ and I refer to it as hilarious magic. It's just something that you've developed as a joke something that's so absurd and probably shouldn't work, but yet it does seem to yield some results. So, I love everything about that. Yeah, if anybody listening is out of work, hit up SJ on, on Twitter. You can find them at, um, at Brick Management or follow the podcast better yet because they're back in business now. But um, yeah, and just say hire me JobCat and you'll you'll uh, <laughs> your wish will be granted. So. Two witches existential JobCat finding service job finding service. They should do like a little like GoFundMe or thing where if you actually do get a job, you could like pay it back. You know, have like you know buy like set up a buy me a cup of coffee page or something like that. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. that'd buy be great. Cat for JobCat. Yeah, that I, I, that'd be it right there. <laughs> that'd be it. I would love to buy that cat a joint for getting me a job. That would be it. <laughs> Thanks, Job Cat. Here you go. Meow. <laughs> oh, Job Cat got a job as a drug dealer. <laughs> God. <laughs> I wonder if they're going to hear this show. <laughs> but yeah, we had also emailed um, Alan Greenfield to ask because I mean, whenever I listen to a, uh, uh, an interview with him, it's it's pretty obvious the, the guy has a tremendous sense of humor and, and doesn't doesn't take himself too seriously in those interviews. So uh, he seemed like a natural guy to ask. And, uh, you know, he was saying that anybody that doesn't have a sense of humor and approaching occult and paranormal topics is, is like going to lose their mind eventually, you know? (laughs) Um, I absolutely agree with that as well. Yeah. And he, he recommended between experiments, a full weekend of Mel Brooks movies or Looney Tunes. So, (laughs) 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 which I can't argue with at all. I have a friend who's a huge practitioner of magic, and they very frequently will take uh, they'll take sabbaticals and watch I Love Lucy as, as much as they can, or or the Three Stooges, I think. 
and I'm always giving them grief about that about that that's their that's their escape from from the other is to go to I love Lucy and the Three Stooges. So oh, you need that. And yeah. I, I actually have some paranormal Lucy trivia cuz um well Lucille Ball had a dream I think encounter with her friend Carol Lombard who had died in a plane crash. And was given advice on what to do with her career cuz at the time Lucy was debating whether to get into the movies or to to um take on the new medium of TV and her dead friend had, had, um, had recommended she go on to TV. So she credited her, her decision of going on to TV as, as uh, guidance from her dead friend in a dream state. So when you think about how, how much pop culture really hinges on Lucille Ball making that decision, it's, it's pretty monumental. You know, she pretty much invented the sitcom format that we have. And Desilu Productions brought us everything from, like, Star Trek to <laughs> um, all, you know, all manner of shows and stuff like that. So it's, that was what, it's pretty it's weird you say that because me and my friend were just talking about that, I think, last night about how – because I'm, I'm a huge nerd. I've got Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel – Dungeons and Dragons. I like. I I am the quintessential geek. I'm really not sure how I ever got laid, but um, <laughs> they brought it up. But, yeah. <laughs> well, geek is chic now. You yeah, know, it's yeah. Like... <laughs> but not when I was doing it. Back back when I was doing it, you would get your ass kicked by dudes with uh, sleeveless denim jackets with Slayer patches on the back of their uh, the back of their jackets. You know. Yeah. No, I get it. I was such a nerd. I got laughed at by the guy at the comic book store so yeah and the other problem is like (laughs) like you would also you would either have like the really geeky guys or you would have the guys that just like didn't bathe or whatever so even in the geek community i was kind of odd because i actually had like hygiene and i i I would try not to look nerdy i didn't you know i i didn't want to look like the nerd guy but deep down inside i was pretty nerdy i i still have I have a room just full of gaming stuff, and, and I mean like tabletop gaming. I don't mean like video games and stuff. But um, that that was my big thing. But we were talking uh, back to the Lucy thing. We were talking last night, and they threw it in my face like, yeah, if, if it wasn't for Lucio Ball, you wouldn't have your Star Trek geek stuff. Yeah, I mean it's hard to understate the importance of Lucio Ball. And then also for that period of time, you had Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners was, was the trailblazing show. And mm-hmm. um, Gleason had kind of a variety show before that. He had a massive – library of all manner of paranormal occult ufo stuff mm-hmm. um he would come on to shows specifically to talk about ufos <laughs> uh he, he was on a show once to, to um basically call bullshit on george king of the Ethereum society uh they the, had a long storied history with with those subjects and his entire library was donated to some university in florida near where he lived so there's a Jackie Gleason library of the occult and strange down there somewhere. Wow. So the beginnings of comedy TV, like sitcoms especially, is, you know, hinges on a few occult and weird paranormal things happening, you know? Well, Dan Aykroyd, he was, he still is huge into the paranormal. That's where Ghostbusters came from. That's that's the whole thing about it. And he he very much is into UFOs and he came from a long line of spiritualists, though, I think, going back yeah. to his grandfather. yeah. He incorporated a lot of the stuff that he talked about into that movie. Even in the last movie, they still bring up the, Tung- the Tunguski Russian explosion or something like that. You know, they referenced it in the first movie, and they referenced it again in the last movie. Um, yeah, I was always intrigued by that. I think that was part of what I started looking into when I was talking about, like, occult and paranormal um, comedy stuff 
over the past year was just little tidbits like um, the prominence of things like numerology or ideas about reincarnation and stuff like that being so popular in the early days of cinema and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy. <clears throat> that wasn't his, his birth name. It was Stanley Arthur Jefferson. He consulted a numerologist about changing his name to Stan Laurel to have the right amount of letters to uh, ensure success <laughs> in in, uh, in comedy. So who's to say if it worked or not? But, I mean, we still know who Stan Laurel is nowadays. Little, little tidbits like that I always found so, super fascinating. You know, So I was trying to collect as many of those as I could. You see it also now with the uh, prominence of tarot cards coming back uh, in such a huge screaming way. The comical tarot decks that are out there, like the Hello Kitty deck. And yeah, I, there's a Bob's Burgers deck, I think. Yeah, there's a Bob's Burgers one. There's a, I know there's a South Park one out there. Um, the Hello Kitty one, I actually know somebody who actually does tarot readings with the Hello Kitty deck, which, I, I mean, and I, I laughed at it, but they're like, well, what's the point of buying a tarot deck if you're not going to actually use it to, to try, to, you know, to, to do that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm going to use this. It doesn't matter what the images are on the deck. It's what the actual card represents. You know, and the, the image on the deck doesn't really make any difference as long as you know, like, that card's the tower or whatever. What what difference does it make what the picture on the deck is? So I've done tarot readings with the Saucer People trading cards deck that came out in, like, the early 90s. It's funny it's you should a... say that. Not to cut you off, but this just popped in my head. I used to know a girl in high school that used to do tarot card readings. Remember Garbage Pail Kids? The garbage. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I knew a friend in high school that used to do tarot readings with Garbage Pail Kids. <laughs> I don't know why that just popped in my head. but <laughs> No, it's the same difference. It's like yeah. it, whatever your medium is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's funny, I mean, maybe that's even better. You know, <laughs> I remember like, how am I supposed to take this? I'm supposed to sit down with you and get a tarot reading with with garbage pale kids. And she's like, hey, man, you use what you got available. Um, and I don't think it was like it wasn't even a full it wasn't even all garbage pale kids. There was a couple of playing cards in there. I think like the tower was an ace of spades or, or something like that. Or the Joker was something else because she didn't have there wasn't a card that she could use equivalent to the the, the cups card or something like that. So she used a couple of playing cards. But she goes, I don't have that card, so I just this has to use that has to be a placeholder for it. And I remember sitting there thinking at the time, I was like, I was already kind of loopy about this stuff, anyways. And I'm like, all right, yeah, sure, because she was one of those mystical, you know, like wore patchouli oil and stuff all the time, and one of those oddball people. But I was just like, how am I supposed to sit here and take this tarot card reading seriously? <laughs> <laughs> But did you get any profound insights from That's it? what I'm trying to think right now. I don't remember if what came to pass, what was what what they predicted was going to happen, happened or or whatever it was. It was something to do with a car or something like that or, or me getting another car. I, I don't remember now. It was so long ago. But just the idea of, of somebody doing a Carol card reading with Garbage Pail Kids collectible cards that they'd gotten from their little brother or something. <laughs> it's just like... All right, whatever, man. I, I, if the, I, you know, next you're going to be giving me astrology out of a box of Lucky Charms or something. So, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, you know, <clears throat> looking back, that probably had a lot of influence on how I look at some of this stuff now because some of this stuff it is it is farcical, and I I do gravitate towards the more the more the more humorous stories that I hear are the ones that I usually pay more attention to, like the the giant space potato over the town. Because um, I fully believe that the guy saw, he thinks, you know, he saw something and he believes it was a space potato. 
and the fact that he was willing to come forward and tell these stories, those are the ones that I gravitate more, more towards because because of their absurdity. You know, we all know the story about little green aliens or greys or the usual UFO experiences. And I kind of don't want to hear those. I want to hear the more fantastical ones. Granted, some of them are probably going to sound like bullshit. And, you know, as we were saying, we don't know. We don't know necessarily for sure if when a person says they were pulled over by aliens that came and were dressed like clowns that came out of, out of a giant clown car from space or something like that, you know. You know if the, you were going to lie about something, you'd probably stick to the script, right? You'd use the motifs that you've already heard before. So why would you make up something so absurd that it's outside? Yeah, because you're not going to uh, want to tell the story anyways, so... Well, yeah, Lloyd, Lloyd Auerbach brought up the um, concept of the boggle factor. Uh, with in regard to that, you know, um, the, the point at which you're no longer willing to entertain the story, you know, where yeah. suddenly things are so absurd that you just kind of snap back and go, okay, you know, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have yet to experience something like that. If I'm going to have a paranormal experience, like even like the one I had earlier with the tape recorder, that, that would be, I would love to have something like that happen. I would love to be the guy that goes on the ghost hunt and something so incredibly absurd happens that everybody just kind of looks at me and I'm like, yeah, my snarky stupidness is now justified. You know, just to be a dick about it. Because <laughs> I would think, like, if I'm dead and I'm stuck somewhere, you know, you got to – let's go back to the ghost hunting thing again. You know, you're, you're stuck, you're dead, you're in this location, whoever knows for why or whatever – and the same people come in, if you're here, move this chair, blah, 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 blah. You know, I would think that if you've been there for 50 years, 100 years, however long, and somebody comes in and tries to have fun with it, either A, they're going to get pissed off because they're not being taken seriously and do something, or something funny is going to happen back in return. You know, and given the choice of having the shit scared out of me and having a good laugh, I would definitely choose good laugh over having the crap scared out of me. So, oh, absolutely. You know. Yeah. I think the other thing that... uh Lloyd was talking about was um, when you talk about things that stick in your head as far as uh, various paranormal occurrences is that if you're a a public speaker, right, you're constantly uh, encouraged to create some type of emotional reaction in your audience because people are going to be a lot more likely to remember something that's associated with an emotion. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and Lloyd was also talking about when you're going in as a ghost hunter and dealing with people in the house, the, the live people in the house as well as the dead people, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, you need to be able to relate to them. You need to be likable, you know? Yeah, exactly. So if, so if someone's like easygoing, they seem kind of confident, um, they're not freaking out, you know, they have a sense of humor, they're not taking themselves too seriously, they're going to be a lot more likable. And even just having that type of person around, if people are starting to get freaked out, is going to help kind of diffuse the situation, and it's going to make people a lot more likely to be able to uh, go along with ever, whatever you have to suggest. If <laughs> I mean, because I'm thinking part of the thing is, can you imagine in that peeping Tom situation? I mean, that could be really stressful if you're a woman, if you're like a like, ghost pervert hounding mm-hmm. you, right? Um, that you can't get them and put them in ghost jail, right? Can you imagine being the person – who goes into this that situation and says, okay, I think what we need to do is sit down and read all these stupid dad jokes for hours on end. Yeah. I mean, you've you got to be able to put that across, right? Mm-hmm. Well, because you'd have plenty of ghost hunters out there that would say, well, what you got is a demon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, <laughs> It probably yeah. would make the situation worse, you know. I would think so, yeah. 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 Um, 
so I think that kind of goes to the whole kind of uh, performance aspect and just the, the human aspect of just, you know, how can you go in there so that, you know, you can help uh, guide the situation and, uh, you know, cool it out and get people to go along with these <laughs> kind of like off the wall crazy ideas because then sometimes they work. Lloyd had another interest, and I always was interested in this when I read about it oh, over 20 years ago. He had an old blog where he had a bunch of his cases written up. But it's another uh, haunting. It was not a residual haunting, but it was from, by uh, involved with someone who was alive. And these people had moved into a house, and I forget the exact family circumstances, but there was like a little girl. And she seemed happy enough, but she was around the house, and she had, you know, kind of a certain period of, of dress. And so they contacted him. He uh, looked into the history of the house. There had been a woman who lived at that house at the time period um, that seemed to be reflected in this apparition's dress. And she was a young girl then. Uh, so he looked her up and she was alive. Now here's the kicker. She was in, uh, she'd been very ill. She was elderly and she was kind of in, a, she wasn't like actually in a coma, but you know, she was kind of drifting in and out of consciousness and just kind of like probably pretty depressed as they found out. And in this kind of real, you know, bedridden state, and um, so he ended up uh, talking with her caretakers and the uh, hypothesis that they were going with is that she was kind of astrally projecting into her house where she had been happy. So, again, you see, you know, the element of, of humor and happiness playing a strong role. And so they just ended up working with her caretakers and the people there um to get her more engaged and so that she wasn't feeling so despondent about her situation. You know, she, I don't think she had many family left or friends or anything. Um, and so it kind of resolved. And then also it was good because then they could uh, talk to the people in the, in the house that was being haunted and um, let them know it's not anything scary. It's just, you know, this person is remembering a happy time. And so they could be interact with her, the haunting in a different way. So, but I thought that was interesting because it's another case of uh, a haunting that's happening because of someone who's alive, but not residual in this case. But it shows that to the uh, the importance of emotion. You know, I felt bad for that you know old lady that you know she was feeling so creepy, but then she was drawn to a time when she'd been happy. So, I mean, it's yeah, he, emotions related to this stuff too, where um, yeah, it seems like a, a lot of people are out there just looking for for a scary campfire story. You know, <laughs> a yeah. more holistic view of it all would include the absolutely absurd, batshit, funny ones, too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. so if you're out there listening and you have a humorous story like this, please contact me, projectarchivist at gmail.com. We'll talk. Yeah, I look forward to hearing more of them, you know. But I, I think I think a lot of them are coming back into, um, into vogue with as many podcasters as you have now. Uh, nowadays covering a lot of digging up a lot of weird old stories like uh jeff the mongoose jeff the talking mongoose is one that i think of a lot and um the space pancakes case um they're they're the really silly really absurd ones that lend themselves to to joking around and make for good uh good good fodder for storytelling (laughs) but uh if you're to take the witnesses at their word in any way then and what they experienced was something that actually happened then it kind of causes you to re- really consider i've often thought that those super absurd ones are, are hold some keys to understanding the totality of it that are often overlooked 
simply because they're so crazy and just silly, you know? Well, it was like we were so. talking about earlier with, with the whole Jeff Hansen thing. Again, going back to Ritzman as well, they both have said this where, you know, this is, you know, it kind of plays games with you sometimes. If it's if it's the trickster aspect of it, then it's like, all right, let's, help, let's see how absurd we can make this. Now let's see you tell this story. You know, let's see you try not to get laughed at now because it's it's kind of like I dare you to tell this. I dare you to say that that your shoes morphed into a dog and walked through the house or something like that. You know, because you're going right. to get laughed at. No one's going to believe it. You know, but at the same time, if you're the person having this experience, you're like I like because like I've had experiences, and when you have something genuinely strange and weird happen to you that you cannot explain, no matter how hard you try. It's like you really can't tell anybody about it. It's hard to tell the story because it's like, are people going to believe you because they're your friends? Or then you got people say, well, I don't believe something happened to you, but I believe that you think something happened to you. You know, all these things. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, and I've had that happen to me, which is why I seldom tell the stories anymore because it's like, you know what? It's no matter what, I, it's not going to change one way or another if people believe the experience that I had or don't believe the experience that I had. It's not going to change the fact that I had that experience. So... You know, I'm not sure, like, you want to tell somebody to get validation of some kind or another, but in the end, it really doesn't matter. So when these absurd things happen like this, where do you go with it? What do you say? What you do? It's almost like it's challenging. Yeah, yeah, I dare you to say something about this. I dare you to go out and try to tell people this story because nobody's going to believe you. It's bad enough nobody's going to believe that you saw a UFO. Then you add the absurdity to it or a ghost or add something absurd to it. Who's going to believe that, you know? Right. So, yeah. I mean, I I wrote about this on my blog at one point with, um, you know, Bugs Bunny connection to UFOs, um, where George Hunt Williamson had been in contact with aliens via like a um, spirit board sort of thing and and radio signals. Um, At one point, the aliens were saying, "We, we keep telling you to go watch this Bugs Bunny cartoon at the theater. And, uh, and, and like you did go do it, but you haven't recorded it. We happen to know you didn't record it. You need to write this down because it's important. <laughs> you know? What? I've never and, heard this story. So, uh, well, if you read the saucers speak, uh, it's George Hunt Williamson's book on it. It's in there. And I, I came across it in an article written by somebody that was reviewing the book basically. Um, and her name's not coming to me at the moment. Um, damn. But I didn't, you, I don't you wrote know, a whole blog post about this. I wrote a blog post about it. It's called um, From Neptune to Brooklyn, the Bugs Bunny UFO Connection. But uh, <laughs> um, what struck me about it was I had to go – now I had to buy the book, and I had to – I got the Timothy Green Beckley version of it, you know, um, his press his press's version of the saucer speak and read that. And it's in there. The, the aliens are telling him uh, – that's basically the crux of the message that night was you you need to go see this Bugs Bunny cartoon. We directed you to the theater where it was playing and you saw it, but you didn't write it down in your log of our communications and you need to because it's important. Like there's an important message in there. Okay. The message in it is now this is a cartoon where Marvin the Martian lands on yeah. Earth, abducts Bugs Bunny yeah, and tries to take him into space, you know, um, and – uh, he holds out a piece of paper that has a date on it. And it's like September 20th, 1952. Um, and that date ended up being significant for 
George Hunt Williamson and, and the people that he was working with that were in communication with the aliens. Um, it was supposed to like be some kind of event where they were going to land or something like that. But uh, it was that, that was their means of communicating that date was they found a place where it was. It was in this Bugs Bunny cartoon, and they psychically directed him to that theater, but they told him about it, and they happened to also psychically know he didn't write it down. So you're talking about a guy that's in communication with aliens via a spirit board and radio signals that's already writing a book and talking about how he talks to space people all the time. But he even has the self-awareness there to be like, no, I'm not going to tell them they told me to go watch Bugs Bunny. Like, <laughs> I'm not writing that part down. And the aliens are like, you need to write it down. You need that to write this important. down. <laughs> <laughs> and oddly enough, Stephanie actually pointed out that um, that date, September 20th, is, is uh, you know, years later. This was beforehand, but that's the date of the Betty and Barney Hill abduction, too. So <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a weird synchronous, you know. Uh, After a while, play. it just turns into a Twin Peaks episode. <laughs> really? It does, but a much funnier version of Twin Peaks. You know, Not like, if it's happening to you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's part of the charm of it is being able to realize the absurdity of it as it's happening to you. And not go like, this is too weird, you know, just be able to go, okay, this is stupid, but okay, I'll go along with the joke here or whatever, you know? But that's why you need the sense of humor, you know? And and when it comes to the occult end of it and actually doing any kind of magical ritual, I've always been held back in my own personal life by the idea of feeling kind of silly, like doing something structured and ritualized and feeling like, I I feel like an idiot doing this right now, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I can relate to 100%. (laughs) <laughs> I've never worked with other people necessarily yeah. very much doing it because, because of that. But that's where the humor can really be helpful is that it's a breakdown of that kind of inhibition. You know, stuff <laughs> has a banana thing for you. Okay, here we go. So this is another thing that we, we were cracking up when Lloyd brought it up uh, because he was talking about – basically the he was trying to get the point that a lot of psychics – have these kind of very specific, very absurd, completely useless talents. It's like a wild talent, except for it's just kind of like off-the-wall talent or something, and very specific. So he said that uh, he was talking to someone, I forget who it was, and, and they put their keys down, and they had this like kind of weird, like small object, and it was kind of like had striations that looked like maybe a, a rock or something, and they... And he said, what's that? And I guess it was a, like a mummified banana. So this psychic, I forget who it was. Well, he said the the person was kind of like a healer, like an energy healer. But one one of the other talents they had was apparently desiccating fruit or like fossilizing fruit. But only bananas. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) So they have, their, their power was they could fossilize a banana. Basically. Yes, or mummify it, like take all the uh, moisture out so it would turn black and like shrink up. And then, yes. how how does it what what was this like a laying of hands kind of thing, or was this like a like a, a hobby that they had, or was this like an energy <laughs> drawing so kind questions. of thing? There's so many. I mean, how would you even figure out that this would even, that this would even happen? I mean, it just happens spontaneously when you're around bananas. Yeah. Oh, there's I, I so much backstory maybe, here. I'm curious about. Well, it's like the most yeah. useless superpower I've ever heard. Very useless, yes. 
Well, Lloyd was saying he wanted to put these stories together in like a book called Stupid Psychic Tricks, you know, because <laughs> he has a lot of stories like this, like people making um, people that have a psychic talent, but then they also have a peripheral useless talent that's completely stupid and, and useless. You know, That's what I want to hear about. We, we must interview this gentleman. We must all get this guy on the show and interview and hear these stories. Of, oh, that'd be awesome. Of, of psychic absurdity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he loves talking about the subject. I mean, I was really grateful to be able to have the conversation with him, but it, apparently it's one of his favorite things to talk about. So, <laughs> Yes, I would gravitate to that because you're already going into it. Like, okay, all for the, right up front baked in, these people are all psychic and have psychic abilities and stuff like that. So let's just – we've got that right there. So let's push that aside. Going into it knowing for sure that these people can do this. But this is the also the weird obscurity things that they can do that are, you know, stupid human tricks, for lack of a better term. Um, yep. God, a banana vampire. That's a banana energy vampire is probably. <laughs> I was dying because I was like, you know, Rosen has a little bit of a thing with bananas. <laughs> well, that actually ties back to John Tenney, to be honest with you. Um, You're kidding. Oh, yeah. That's the whole that's that's where I'm going with the whole thing in this story, because you guys brought that up. Me and John, I met John. Um, we there's a downtown Detroit. There's a place called Fort Wayne. It's an old historical fort. And the place is uh, a lot of it's in ill repair and it needs money or whatever. And this, 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 the city of Detroit really doesn't keep it run very well. So at the time they were hosting these ghost hunt kind of things, they had a big paranormal meetup. Well, me and a few of the listeners of the show all got together and we did a meetup there. And John was there. And I'd already known John. So John was getting ready to go up on stage and do his presentation in this little like presentation hall they had there. And at the back of the hall, there is this table. I've probably told this story on the show. I don't remember for sure. But, um, I'm going back to the table to get something to eat before the, the whole lecture thing sits down. And John's back there with me. And um, me and John both have dry senses of humor at times. So we're at the counter and I'm getting I'm, – I'm buying this banana and John's are buying something. I look at John. I'm like, I just want you to know that when you're on stage, if you look at me, you know, I'll be looking at you directly in the eyes while I eat this banana. And the woman <laughs> behind the counter starts cracking up. And then me and John don't – we don't crack a smile or nothing. We both just deadpan, just stare right at her. You know, and then she's like, like in mid, she just like, it's like she, she just stops laughing. Oh my God. You know, like she didn't know how to react. So we both walk away and we start cracking up. So John gets on stage and he's doing his little presentation. And, uh, you know, as he's talking, I'm sitting there eating the banana, like looking him dead in the eyes. Cause I told my friends about it and we were all cracking up. So every time with John would be, I don't, I don't know if he remembers any of this, but I, he'd be on stage talking and he'd look at me and I'd just be staring at him with a banana in my mouth, like seductively eating this banana. So everybody was cracking up around us or whatever. And then there was this dude, a couple of like a row over and four seats to the right. And he'd look up and he'd look at him and he'd look at me. And the dude would look at me and go, look at me when you do that. Look at me when you do that. And it, that threw me off. That threw me off because I was like, I could keep a straight face and look at John because that was the joke. That was the whole joke is trying to keep, you know, trying to keep a straight face while we're doing this, which John did. Um, but I'm like looking over and this dude's like looking at me like, look at me when you do that. And it threw me off because I'm like, what the, what the hell? You know, and I'm looking at my buddies and stuff. And then 
we just kept running into this guy throughout the whole thing. So anyhow, that thing is that was a running joke on Project Archivist for years. Having that's where the whole banana thing came from. So much so that a listener, I'm looking at it right now, was actually at the Crayola factory and got a Crayola crayon mid called Archivist Banana, and it's uh, it's Crayola and it says Archivist Banana on the back of it. Oh my gosh! There is a bunch of listeners of the show that actually started a private group. Um, called Scantless Banana, where it's just a, a very dirty meme page and people post raunchy jokes and stuff like that. But that all yeah, came from raunchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that all came from that whole thing with John Tenney being up on stage doing his presentation and me staring at him seductively while eating a banana because they said never you know the joke is never look a person in the face when they're in the eye while they're eating a banana. I had a feeling this chat would be pretty bananas, so yeah. I'm glad that we went. There. <laughs> The question is, well, is can you suck the life out of that banana? Jokes with those jokes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I was about to say earlier that that you know we have a banana uh, story in our pocket for you, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a banana sink in my pocket. <laughs> of course, I have to respond with, "Are you happy to see me?" Yeah. So, well, we've been going well, for. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say because oh, that banana thing reminded me. Um, of uh, when I first uh, joined the Project Archivist Facebook group years and years ago. And it's weird how these things happen because I was just like some random slob back then. And, and you said, oh, you should grow, jo- join this group because I was just set, like set, like the one person who was just sending emails or leaving a comment. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, there's actually a whole Facebook group. <laughs> you yep. see other people. So uh, just a couple of days before, my dad had come by with his Swedish Valhoon, Sophie, who's a dog. And I'd been shopping, and I'd gotten a bunch of bananas, and she was real interested in the bananas. So she ended up, we, we gave her this banana, and she just kind of like, maul, spent like five minutes like kind of like mauling it and just like chewing it and and mouthing it. She didn't really eat it, but she just kind of like mangled this poor banana. And we were watching her, and I, I was filming it on my phone because we were just, I don't know, it was funny watching Sophie get so into this banana. Um, so I just joined this group. And I had no idea about any of this. And I'm like, oh, I, just for a, a fun thing, because I have this on my phone, I'll just post this video of Sophie mangling this banana. And I remember, Rogan, you were just like, oh, you'll fit in just fine here. <laughs> but I had no idea at the time about any of this whole banana backstory. But uh, it was kind of, looking back, it was kind of propitious, I guess. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a running joke on the page for a long, long, long time um, about the whole banana thing. And it just... I, I, I finally it all petered out because it was so long ago at this point. But yeah. and then we'd have to go back and explain the whole story. And, and after a while, it didn't even matter anymore. People didn't even want to know the backstory. They just knew it had something to do with a banana and it was raunchy and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Anyway. The banana has, has risen again. It's like the, the banana mummy the coming banana out of The has the... risen. Rejoice. Yes. The banana has risen from the grave. <laughs> My dad recently has had uh, problems with his phosphorus levels or uh, potassium, I guess, levels. And his uh, doctor has forbidden him from eating bananas. Slice. <laughs> forbidden banana. How did we get here? <laughs> this is a banana podcast. Now. How, how did we go from, from existential ghost sex in a room in a bed with a certain way to, to raunchy bananas? Anyways. <laughs> So, yeah, we've been going for a good clip here. We've been going for over an hour now. Um, I'm going to let you guys go. But as always, when somebody's on the show, this is a chance where I give people to find where they're at and stuff. Stephanie, as always, where can people find you? 
Um, I am on on Twitter uh, at Wandering Britches. I'm I have a blog. Ghost Dog is a mystery box. It's a stephaniequick.home.blog, and if you go there, um, I have my contact information and podcasts. That so. Yeah, you're pretty much uh, all over the map on podcasting now. I, I'm so proud of you. You've come so so far. I remember. That was I remember a lot of fun. <laughs> years ago, it's like, come on, come on, you got to do, you got to do a podcast, you got to do a podcast. You're like, no, no, I'm like, come on, my show, do a podcast. So you did, but you went on Greg's show first, and then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if, yes, you did eventually come on here, and since then you've sprouted out quite nicely and gone all over the map. You've been all over the place, and you do very well. Uh, AP Strange, where can people find you? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. AP Strange, you'll find me. The handle is actually uh, at A-P-R-O. If you get that far, usually it pops up. So, um, And then my blog is APStrange.com. So uh, that's where all my uh, writings are. Did you say .com because it cut out right there? You said APStrange.com? Yes, a- APStrange.com. Yep. Cool. Well, guys, thanks for yep. coming on here and uh, having a good laugh and talking about weirdness and humor and the paranormal. Um I'd like to delve more into this a little bit further down the road again, if we could actually like accumulate some stories and specific accounts. Oh, um, we, got no, we got no shortage of them. We can do this again. <laughs> oh, I'd love to do that. We're going to sit down and have an, an hour or so of just telling about strange stories that happened in the paranormal. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. This is actually probably going to be the Christmas show. So, you know, have, have a good happy holidays and Christmas and new years or whatever kind of thing you celebrate. And uh, thanks for coming on here. appreciate it. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. Thanks for having us. Yay. Stephanie and AP Strange. It's always fun when Stephanie says, hey, I've got an idea for a show. And she's putting together at least another one that I know of. I'm not sure how soon we're going to be able to pull that off. Um, But um, it's always a blast to have her on here. This episode, I didn't go quite as deep into the examples of strange and funny and the paranormal. So I'm hoping, as we intimated in this episode, to go back and retouch on this topic with more examples of strange and weirdness. And I do have the other episode that I'm producing. I still have to put it together. Me and Gary recorded the ramble cast of just really stupid news articles. Those shows are a lot harder for me to produce because we really do put minimal effort into finding the content and we do no proofreading of it whatsoever. And we do that on purpose because it adds to the comical nature of the show. I know they're not for everybody. Um, and I don't do them all the time. A, because I don't like to go down the silly road too often anymore, even though we just did this topic. Um, but it's nice to just sit down and chill out and, you know, have a beer and have a laugh every once in a while, which brings me to the next topic of the amount of output that I've putting into the show. The reason why is just, uh, I'm not sure how much gas is left in the tank for archivist, to be honest with you. I still will probably, ideally I would like to put out two episodes a month, but I'm going to try to at least put one episode out a month because it's just, um, I just don't really have the time to do it anymore. I, you'd figure I would and everything, but I just don't. It's, it's getting harder and harder for me to, uh, sit down and put these shows together and produce them and put the time into reading the books and, and really going out and digging up the content that I want to find. And the other thing is, is I've been doing this for going on 13 years now, one form or another, and I've pretty much talked about everything that 
um, I originally wanted to do this show on. I mean, there's still topics out there that I find interesting that are weird, but they're going more into the realms of magic and things like that. So we're going to see where that goes. It's just a matter of how often I can sit down and actually put this stuff together. It's been a real, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a real adventure, but it's getting harder and harder for me to find the time and the energy to put it together. So we're going to see where that goes. Um, God, it's really hard to talk right now. <laughs> my sinuses, it just it just feels like there's a clamp going on inside my brain right now that's just shutting down my nasal passages and my throat. But anyways, um, so yeah, I've got the one episode in by the Ramblecast, and then I've got to do a couple of, I'm working two jobs, so I've got to do a few things for that. I'm in the process of reading a book, and there's still a couple other guests that I need to get on the show or what have you. So I apologize for the slow output, but again, life happens. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. But uh, having said all of that, that'll do it for now. And I will see you guys again soon. This is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit.